0: Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. Well, glory. It's good to be with you guys again. Oh my gosh, this is getting to be so much fun. Okay, so here we are, like 21 episodes into this crazy epic, and we still haven't got David kinged king and crowned (laughs) we still haven't got him crowned in in israel this is this is insane but this is how long the story is it really is this long we don't think about it we just don't very seldom does anybody have the time to do this i so i appreciate you guys hanging with me i appreciate it i just think there's so much to learn as you know i try to make a few applications and illustrations along the way but there's so much more in there and, and and every time I read it, every time I tell it, there's new stuff that comes out or or different application that comes out. I mean there's so many political things we could talk about. there's so many freedom things we could talk about. there's so many religious ideas. we could talk about leadership stuff we talk about. It, this this epic is fraught with opportunities to have conversations. And that's what the Bible was designed for. Even even I love that, even in the New Testament, But the expectation in the New Testament was that the church would, what, gather together to reason together, to be together, to not forsake assembling together. It wasn't so that ultimately, you know, you end up in in the Western culture of America and we all gather and we watch one person talk. It was to interact. And I'm not against church and I'm not against one person talking. As a matter of fact, if you'd like me to come speak, please let me know. But. Uh, in, in in the expectation from the biblical writers, from Holy Spirit, is that this would be opportunities to interact. And I hope you take this opportunity. I hope those of you that listen to the podcast take the opportunity to discuss these nuances and and, and insights and possible applications of the story of David into everyday life, into family life, into your business life into your personal life. There's a lot of things we can we can do with this and that's why I love taking our time to get through it. I really do. And I hope you enjoy this. So, today we're going to look at chapter 27 of first of first Samuel. Now, that pretty much I mean it's it's not that long of a chapter. It's like 12 verses long. So, we'll we'll get done. We'll get done. No problem. It starts out, but David thought to himself, what what but David David thought what? What but what? But what If you remember, last time we gathered at the end of the chapter, Saul went his way. David went back to to his way. There at some level was an agreement in the dark valley as as dawn was, was occurring after a long, dark night in the desert. There was an agreement between Saul and David that he would no longer pursue him. David pleaded his case, made his case. It was it was uh, it was clear to Saul that David was right, and even though Saul was embarrassed and Saul probably felt like he was the victim, he at some level also felt sorry for for what he had done and the and the decisions he had made and the results of those decisions. So he left. He didn't continue pursuing David, and it and and the indication was that he had given up pursuing David. He wasn't going to ever go after him because David had made it clear, I'm never coming after you. I'm not coming after the throne. It doesn't matter that I was anointed, the next king until you're not there for whatever reason. However it happens, old age, battle, battle, death, uh, disease. It doesn't matter until you're gone. I'm not going to I'm not going to try and force the issue. And this was uh this was enough at least at the moment to get Saul out of the way. But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. In other words, I don't trust him. <laughs> oh man. That's a, that's a hard place to be when, when people in authority over you aren't trustworthy. When everyone kind of knows that promises are made and not kept. People who lead out of fear and control are often that way. They often like to throw out titles, like they'll, they'll, they'll move your, you know, they'll, they'll give a different title to your door, so to speak. They'll, they'll increase your, your they'll give you a raise, but they'll also increase your responsibility. They'll give you new you know new titles, but but the promises of the benefits aren't there. You actually work harder. You're more controlled. You have le- or slash less freedom as be- than before. And in the end, they don't come through. I I remember I I was working at a camp. I was a teenager. I was working at a camp, and uh the camp was, was at the particular time was trying to find a new like camp director. So I had worked at this camp for several summers. The director that had been there like forever was not there. And so they were trying to find a new one. So the new guy came in and he was running this particular summer and he had that, it wasn't a rep. I mean, he got the reputation because of this is what he did. He would make promises and not follow through. He would ask you to do something and then not give you what he promised. He wasn't trustworthy. I, and for him it was, you know, it was easy to promise stuff. It was it was little things because we're we're like, you know, we're working I think we paid to work there, which is to me ridiculous. I know a lot of camps do it, but we either paid to be there or we worked for free. I forget. We were just volunteering, but we worked long hours. I remember uh I was working in the kitchen at the time I'd worked several summers in the kitchen. They were long hours you started at you know five thirty in the morning and you you got done at nine eight eight thirty at night after you know dinner was cleaned up and and uh and the kitchen was cleaned you know washed down and sometimes you got out earlier sometimes you got out a little later depending on on what was going on but generally you know we worked. We worked 15-hour uh, days for the summer, all for the for the love of God, all in the name of Jesus. We were servants of the King. Praise God! And someday we would be rewarded in heaven for our sacrifice, for for you know whatever, for losing sleep and exhausting ourselves and injuring ourselves and working through the injuries and and not giving up and not complaining and da, da 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 But anyways, he's the director. So he would see us working or he would ask us to do something in addition to what we were doing. And he often would promise us um, pizza. Now, our, our particular kitchen and that particular camp actually made really good pizza. And it cost us money. We didn't get it for free. And so he would say, you know, I'll, I'll get you pizza. Friday night was pizza night um, for the camp after dinner, late night, you know, we provided pizza at like nine 30 or 10 o'clock at night to all the cabins and, and it cost them money and they, you know, whatever. So they, but we'd get free ones from, from the camp director if we did certain things for him. And I think I was, I mean, I know I was promised at least 10 or 12 pizzas and never got one. He never, he never followed through. And I know multiple other people did the same thing. So he wasn't trustworthy. I don't know why you needed that whole story, but there you go. Now you have it. Uh, Then we had the next year, we had another one. No, forget You don't need all those stories. But we did get a a new director the next year who, he didn't make promises he couldn't deliver. He just always wanted special attention. Uh, And he would make, he'd make uh, demanding calls on the kitchen. Like we'd, you know, we'd be in the middle of breakfast, and and the director would call. Uh, I'd like breakfast at the office. I'm I'm having a few 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 people over. Can you send up uh, a bunch of bacon, eggs, uh, pancakes, sausage? Like he would just give us the menu. Not that it was stuff we didn't have, but it was stuff we hadn't prepared and we'd have to you know throw this together and somebody would have to run it up to the office and set it all up for him and he'd sit at his desk and talk with people and be like yeah and this is you know this is Bob from the kitchen he's a great young man we we're so appreciative of his hard work and i'm thinking you jerk i should be down there working with the team to provide food for 900 campers but you want special attention and oh man he did that all day long almost every day uh, yeah, I'd like some coffee. Uh, can you bring some coffee up to the uh, to the boardroom and uh, maybe some donuts and some pastries and some fresh fruit? Can you put together a quick fru- a fruit salad? Yeah, I have a meeting of 15 minutes, that sort of thing. It seemed like every day, at least once during the day, he had some special thing he wanted. Nice guy, just always demanding. So not a great leader, bottom line. And uh, Saul was untrustworthy. And David knew it. And he was like, someday he's gonna come after me. Someday we're gonna end up back on the run. I need a safe place to go. I need a place where all these families, which I said are probably pushing fifteen hundred to two thousand people. I you know, several more are pregnant. Like we need we need a place to be. We need a place where we can where we can start, you know, raising livestock, maybe planting a few things so that we can have some regular provisions. I'll tell you what I'll do. The best thing I can do is is go live in in the land of the Philistines. Now, this made sense to David, and I'm sure it made sense to his men. I don't think he did this in a vacuum. The way it's written, it looks like he just came up with this decision. I'll tell you what's not written is that he consulted the Lord, that he inquired of the Lord. It doesn't show that he went to the the high priest uh, Gad at this time and said, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Can you check in with God on this? Cuz I don't think God would have went with it. I mean, not that again, these are choices David can make and God's goodness can show up anyway. There's nothing that'll separate you from the love of God. He's not going to He's not going to look down in in an attitude of disappointment and say, "Well, I'm just not going to show up for the next couple years and see how you like that decision." Do you have to do you have to deal with the results of your decision? Absolutely. But God's goodness often will alleviate in his mercy he will alleviate some of those results just so that you're not destroyed by your sin. Because sin always brings death. And I don't know if this choice was sinful, but it wasn't it wasn't the best because it took him out of the land of 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 his fathers. It took him out of the land of the promised land. It took him out of out of connection with God's people and with the temple and with all the things that he said he wanted to stay around. When he spoke with Saul in the valley in the dark, he basically said, "I don't want to leave this land. I don't want to leave this place. This is the place of God. This is my birthplace. This is this is where I want to be." You keep chasing me, and eventually you're going to chase me out of the country, and I don't want to go to places where foreign gods are worshipped. And yet that's exactly where David chose to go. It's interesting. So he packs up all his people, and they move toward the, uh, the land, 600 men, right, all their families, and they go over to the land of the Philistines, and he went to Akish, the king of Gath, which, or Goth, or however you want to say it, if you're Hebrew, which probably doesn't sound anything like what I'm saying. But they get there and they make an arrangement. Now, if David shows up with 600 men, it's not because he's trying to intimidate the city of Gath. David shows up with his 600 men, and the families are probably nearby, but he shows up with his 600 men. Not as a threat, but as a negotiation tool. He shows up with six hundred men and the reputation that he had as an amazing military leader, and he makes a deal with Akish. He says, let let's let, let let us stay here. Let us bring our families, let us stay here. And Akish takes it. Politically, this is this is a pretty good move for him. The, the greatest killer of the Philistine people is now under Philistine control. See, he didn't have to kill David. He just had to make him ineffective. And that's often the way of the enemy. The enemy knows that if you belong to God, he can't, he can't remove you from that. But he can make you ineffective in your ability to execute the plans of God. He can frustrate things. He can put up relational blocks. He can break relationships to the point where you can't move forward. And this is what Akish is able to do with David. He brings him into the capital city. David brought his two wives in with him, and they're hanging out in the capital city. I don't know where they stay. I don't. Know, you know, this this is the logistics of this kind of thing. Always makes me wonder what the culture was like because you know the decision made by the king had to be executed by a whole lot of other people. He says, yes, you can stay here. The negotiation worked. David's like, I'll work for you. We'll, you know, we'll, uh, my men will serve, will serve you, We'll, we'll all get along. We just need a safe place to stay. You know, Saul keeps chasing us down, we're tired. I need some comfort. I need some food on a regular basis. Let's work this out. They work out a deal. He says, yes, you and your men and their families can are welcome here in the city. And then I'm sure some attendants running around going, oh, great. This is awesome. Now it's up to me. Now I have to figure this out. I'm sure he didn't say that out loud because the king, uh, Kish, would probably have him, have him killed. So the king says, provide housing for all these people, 1,500, 2,000 people. Yes, my lord. And he walks out rolling his eyes, going, "Oh God, help me!" I do that on smaller scales, you know. Sometimes, uh, like I said, even even at, you know, back in the day when I worked at camp, somebody would show up and be like, "Hey, I need this." You know, okay, yes, sir. And then you hang up the phone, going, "You jerk! I cannot believe you're gonna make me do that." Anyways, I I would say that under my breath so it didn't count. <laughs> Oh, so the, I, don't, I have no idea what the logistics was of 1,500 people moving into the city. Maybe because it's such an agrarian society, there were always apartments available. There were always housing available because sometimes you know, people would move in and move out. Their farms would work, wouldn't work. They'd move out to the farms. They had houses out in, the, out in the hill country. I don't know. But they all moved in, and they hung out there for a while. And Saul heard... That David had, quote, fled to Gath, and he no he no longer searched for him. Saul found out that David had run to the foreign land again. For Saul, this was the second time that he from his perspective, Saul had David had committed treason and had sided with the enemies of, of of the nation. So you know, Saul was like, There is proof. If you didn't hate David like I hated David, it's because you didn't know what I know. And I know that David works for the enemy. And now he lives there. So Saul didn't need to chase David anymore. Because in his mind, there's no way that guy ever becomes king of Israel now. Because now he's out working for the enemy. He's living with them. He's in their capital city. He's best friends with the king. You can imagine the PR that was going out the conversations that were directed by the king in the in the board not boardroom in the throne room slash council. So David goes to Akish after a while and he says If we've lived if I found favor in your eyes, in other words, if if you're good with all this, you know, we've lived here for, for a little while. I don't I don't think we should stay in the royal city with you. I think we should be out on our own. Is there a village somewhere that we can move into? Is there one of these country towns somewhere out in the hills that wouldn't be as as prominent, where we wouldn't be noticed as much, where we could kind of be alone? And Akish probably had to do some, you know, asking of his advisors what might you know what might be available. I think, I think politically, this was also probably a good move. Like, let's get the Israelites out of the capital city. Like we see them everywhere. There's 600 warriors, and even though they're not all dressed in battle gear every day, they're foreigners. They look different. I don't know how they how they look different, but they look different. I mean, I'm sure that you know, like in in any country where a particular Uh, traits are dominant the subtle trait differences are seen so these guys knew these you know the, the the philistines knew those guys are israelites they dressed a little different even if they bought uh philistine philistine uh clothing the way they wore it the way they walked the way they talked their accent wasn't right and in the capital city that probably got some pushback like, why did Achish make this deal? Why is why are these people living here? So they figured it out, and they gave him a little village called Ziglag. And David lived in the Philistine territory for about a year and four months. So a little, basically a year and a half. Now, I don't know if the year and four months was just in Ziglag or if the year and four months included his time in in the city of Gath, but let's just say it's a year and a half. Now, David and his men move in. The families move in. Everybody tromps us in, and David's able to say, I, "I this had to be such a great day. Guys, this is our town. This is ours. People are like, "Hey, can I do this?" Yeah, absolutely. That's your house. You can have it. You can do what you want. David, will we be able to set up a pen to maybe get some goats? You can get some goats. You can set up a pen. People are, are are feeling so encouraged by this. They're so happy. They're not living in a capital city surrounded by people who they used to fight. They're, they're not being mocked or stared at when they're walking down the street. They're in their own city, their own not city, their own little village. And they're moving in and they're laughing and there's children playing in the streets and there's they're they're settling in, they're unpacking. Then they're putting the carts behind the house. They don't need them ready to go at a moment's notice. They're putting a little extra spice in the food because they just feel great. This is such a great place. This is such a great day. And I'm sure David's mind, this is all, this is all believing like God's in this. And his goodness is here. And he's right. God's goodness is there. God wants people to feel settled. He wants them to feel loved. He wants them to to connect in in neighborhoods. He wants people to have that kind of interaction. And and so his goodness is there. Even if this wasn't the best decision David made, God's goodness is still in it. We can't look at this and be like, oh, bad decision, David. And, And I've heard this message. I've heard it. I've heard it preached bad decision david should have stayed in his home country this is bad leadership this is this is choosing comfort over covenant this is choosing um oh what was the other phrase this is choosing uh, safety over the security of god this is choosing you know himself over over god this is i mean it's just uh and in, it's not that those illustrations aren't true in a lot of ways, David did do, did do those things when he moved uh, to to the Philistines, when he went to Gath and then to Ziglag. But God's goodness was still there. It was seen in the way that the, the children were able to be safe. It was seen in the way that families felt settled. It was seen in the way that pregnancies and, and the subsequent uh, births were not under constant threat of Saul showing up or getting in the area and having to pack up and run. Peace is part of heaven, and they were able to experience it. Joy, thankfulness, these are all characteristics of heaven. These were all available to the families in Ziglag. God was there. His goodness was there. They were dealing with the results of David's choices, but his goodness was still there. And David came up with a job for all the men. He's like, we need provisions. We're going to go take them. And they were like, from where? He's like, well, we're going we're gonna to do raids. We're going to go out. We're going to raid various places, and we're going to take their stuff. And the men were like, well, all right. What's the plan? Where are we going? And he laid out a plan to raid various tribal nations that were enemies of Israel. Not enemies of the Philistines, but enemies of Israel. So David was going to, in essence, in his mind, justify his behavior because he was still, in his ways, going to be able to say, I did this for God. This is the same reasoning that so many people uh, use, uh, you know, to lesser accounts when they say things like, uh, well, you know, we love each other, so we can do this. Or, uh you know it, it i can i can cheat on my taxes because it's it may, god made it so easy for me i don't have to get a permit to do the addition on my house because no one's ever going to see it I, and and i'm going to do everything like i have the i have the qualifications to do it all up to code it's, i'm not going to do anything illegal i'm just i i don't want to go get the permit nobody needs to know what i'm doing on my property and you get it all done and you look at it and you're like, wow, praise God, God was in this. Or you, or you, you know, you're cheating on your spouse, and you say, See, I feel so alive and so in love and so wanted and seen and heard. This has to be God. God is clearly involved in this. And God's goodness is still there. But it doesn't mean you made the best decision. You're gonna to have to deal with the results of that decision and so will David but David's plan is we're going to go after the enemies of Israel but we're going to tell Achish the king we're going to we're going to tell him that we're after the after the Israelites we're going to tell him that we're actually fighting our own people because Israel is the you know we are the enemy of the Philistines so we're going to make him think that we're going after Israel going after Judah uh, doing all of his dirty work for him. But the reality is we're actually going to do things that will protect our people and protect our country. We just can't tell anybody, so we can't leave any witnesses. We need to wipe everybody out. When we, when we go after a village, we take all their livestock, goats, sheep, mules, horses, camels, uh, elephants if they got them, zebras. We're going to take them all back with us And then we're gonna make sure everybody dies. No one survives because because if word gets out that I'm actually not fighting the Israelites, then the Philistines will be after us, and then we really have nowhere to go. Because if we run to Israel, they're gonna attack us. You know, Saul will come after us, and if we stay here, they're gonna attack us, and we'll end up having to run down to Egypt or something crazy like that. And I don't want to move again. I'm tired. I really think this is where God wants us. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of always looking, you know, hoping, looking for food, surviving on on whatever we can find. We're going to establish ourselves here, and the men agreed. I don't know if they all agreed. I don't know if it was unanimous, but eventually they all they all agreed, and they and they went after it. Again, we don't see any reference to him inquiring of the Lord. He did not call in the high priest for for uh, advice. He just went with it. So David would go out, and he would attack an area. Did David go on every raiding party? Probably not, but he gets credit for it all because it's his idea. He's the leader. He did not leave a man, woman alive. He took all the sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels, and clothes, and he would then he would return to Kish. In other words, David would give a report to the king. He probably would ride alone, or maybe with a couple men. And he would come in, and he would, he would get an audience with the king. I don't think this was daily. It might have been monthly. But in essence, this was his only accountability, was to tell Akish whatever whatever he wanted to tell him. David had no accountability because of where he lived. He should have went to Gad. He should have went to the priest. He should have asked like, ideally, and I say should have, like he made, you know, he wasn't being evil. He wasn't even being illogical. But the best choice would have been to involve God in this decision. Instead, he looked at God's goodness that was arriving in his world, despite his decisions. And he took that as confirmation that God was in his decisions, that God was 100% behind it. And that happens so many times. Like I said, when somebody cheats on a spouse and they feel loved and seen and heard and, and appreciated and they think, see, God is in this. Well, all those things do come from God. Those things are the goodness of God. But that doesn't mean that God approves of the decision. You cheat uh, on your taxes and get away with it. So you're able to do more for the family or, or pay off the bills that you need to pay off or, and, and you take some extra and you give more than you normally do to, to you know, to the church. And you say, God, thank you so much for helping me get away with that. Well, God's not helping you get away with it. It's just that his goodness is always good. And you will eventually have to pay for that. You will probably get caught. You embezzle money from, from your church or from your place of, of work, your employment. You embezzle money, steal goods. Uh, whatever it is you do, and you think, ah, "I got away with it. I got away with it. Nobody knows, and nobody will ever know." And God says, "I know." You say, "Well, no, no. You, you were fine with it because you helped me get away with it." I remember when I was about to get caught, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sitting at the computer screen changing numbers and cheating the company and somebody walked in and i was like oh god please oh god please oh god please oh God, please don't let them see don't let them see don't let them see and they didn't see so clearly god you were okay with what i was doing instead we need to say clearly god's goodness never leaves me or forsakes me but when you pay for that embezzlement when you get caught cheating when you get caught lying you right we honestly probably on a lesser scale most of us do it when we lie we lie, we get away with it, and we think, oh, God was with me. God was okay with that. I love the fact that God tells stories, leaves leaves us stories in Scripture where people do lie and they seem to get away with it. Abraham did it a couple times. Uh, Rahab did it. Like, in, And you look at the story and say, well, if they hadn't lied, look at what would have happened. And I would say, well, what would have happened we don't know we don't know what would have happened if if they had told the truth it's it's a it's just fascinating to me it's fascinating to to really believe that god's goodness is always there to really believe that god's goodness is always available i do know that people preach and teach that sin blocks the goodness of god from coming in i don't i don't think so i don't think god's goodness can ever be stopped I do think sin frustrates it. I do think the results of sin always bring, uh, ultimately it brings death. But, but the enemy is always here to kill, steal, and destroy. So, so sin will steal some of the goodness that God had for you, some of the blessings and favor that he had for you had you not made that decision. It'll steal it from you. It'll rob you of all that God has available for you because that's the nature of sin to kill, steal and destroy it will destroy relationships you can make a you can make a decision everything looks good but but relationally things start to fall apart things are things are injured things the results of your decisions start to break down the connection that you have with other people you can say to yourself, "I I can do this. No one's gonna know, right?" The classic, uh, the classic porn, ex- uh, uh, excuse, right? It's just on. It's on my phone. Everybody does it. It's, and Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody's hurt by this. Sin destroys things. Your relationships will be impacted by this. The relationship with yourself is impacted by it. The relationship with your mind is impacted by it. I, anyways, it's it's. Yeah, uh, so many so many things to discuss there. I'm, not, I'm telling a story, Bob. You got to preaching. You're supposed to be telling a story. Tell the story. That's the engineer Bob in my head telling me what to what, get back on track. Yes, I will. So he goes out raiding, and he would go to Achish, and Kish would say, where did you go today? And David would tell him, but he lied. He didn't leave a man, a woman alive to to be brought to to Gath because he thought they might tell him the truth. They might say, David did this to us. And such was his practice as long as he lived in the Philistine territory. So here was David lying on a regular basis. I need some water. Hang on. Ah, yeah, that's a good drink. Lying on a regular basis and getting away with it. Seemingly getting away with it. Everything seemed to look like he was getting away with it. But he was paying a price. He was paying a price because that's what sin does. Things were being killed. Things were being diseased. Not like God was giving cancer to people. But when you lie and you cheat and you steal... You open up the opportunity. You legally give the enemy access to do things to you. And that's the freedom of your choice. The freedom of your choice gives the enemy access to you to do as he pleases in those, in that line. And the impact of that could be long lasting. and 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 a lot of people deal with those decisions. and then they look at the results of their decisions and they say, "God did this to me. God did this. and And honestly, David would have would have said the same thing because that that mentality, especially in the Jewish world, even to this day. and in most religious, Christian, evangelicals worlds, it's still to this day. God gets credit for everything. God sent the hurricane. God sent the cancer. God sent AIDS. God sent the riots. God sent the murderers. This is God's judgment. No, this is the results of sin. This is what you do when you allow sin into your life. You give it access to do what it loves to do, which is kill, steal, and destroy. And it says that Achish trusted David and said to himself, <laughs> this version of the Bible says, uh, he, he's become so obnoxious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant for life. See, the plan was working. The deception was working. All David had to do was make sure there were no witnesses to what he was actually doing so that Akish would never, never come into contact with an eyewitness that would say David never killed any Israelites. David never went to Judah and killed killed his own tribe and people. He was on the borderlands. He was in the wilderness. He killed people that hadn't, you know, that were enemies of of Israel and you know enemies of the Philistines too. But but he didn't he didn't go after anybody in his own country ever. But Akish never ran into any of those witnesses because David made sure there weren't any. And Akish believed David, trusted David, and then believed there's no way David will ever leave me. He will always serve me, his men will always be at my disposal. I have got an army of 600 mercenaries at my disposal at all times because I made a huge political move. In bringing David in. I mean, the PR advantage that Akish had, not just amongst his own people. I mean, the number of times I'm sure that he reminded elders and advisors that they were opposed to his decision. But now look, now look, look at what, look at what David's doing for us. Look at what I've acquired. And think of the PR work that he was able to do against Israel. By reminding them that David now works for him. That David, the the mighty warrior David, no longer works for Israel. And as that mentality and that PR began to run deeper and deeper, people really began to believe it. David was on their side now. David could fight for them now. People in Israel knew it. There might not have been any evidence that they could actually find that David did anything against them, but Saul was pushing it. He would push the fact that, you know, when Akish would say, David works for me now, he would say, yes, he's a treasonous, rebellious servant who left us, abandoned his people, abandoned his country, and now works for the enemy. Look at even the enemy agrees. That's the kind of results of the choice that David made. That's the results of, of, of deception. It kills, steals and destroys. It was destroying relationship. it was destroying connection. it was stealing blessing. it was stealing uh, life-giving relationship. It was de- it, it, and it was killing it was killing off some relationships. It was really killing a relationship with the Philistines that could have been developed had David been truthful. But that is a story for another day. So that's, uh, yeah, that's that's First Samuel 27. And I think it's a great uh, opportunity to apply and interact with. And again, I wanna encourage you to do that with all of this story. There's a lot here and I hope you're enjoying it because I'm having a blast telling it. Have yourself a great day, everyone.